This is the Roaring Elephant Podcast for the 21st of July, and here is my ever so high quality co-host, Jon. Well, I wouldn't say high quality, but at least I'm in high resolution. I'll, I'll take one. I'm okay. <laughs> How have you been? I've been good. I've been good. It's been an exciting morning, uh, but uh, all is good now. And uh, we are here. We're talking to our, well, talking to each other. <laughs> our, our audience is hopefully listening. And we're here today to talk about such an exciting topic. Data quality. Data quality. Really interesting stuff here. Isn't that an inherent capability feature of all data? I mean, that's easy. Well, data having a quality, <laughs> as opposed to as opposed to data equality. No, so I oh, think no, what no, we're... No, let's not go there. <laughs> data, data matters, don't you know? Anyway, um, what we're here talking about today is data quality and like who's whose problem i guess well it's not a problem like who who owns data quality in an organization um there's a number of different views on this but let's let's start off with perhaps defining you know how how we view data quality um well, it kind of depends on who's looking at it i mean i think a lot of roles have a difference definition or opinion about what quality actually means there yeah so let's let's try what what do you think is the simplest definition of data quality that you can think of uh, for me uh, in a single word value if I can expect okay, value in, from it how about in a few more words <laughs> <laughs> now for me, it's if I can extract value from that data, be it monetary or otherwise, then there's a quality there. If it's impossible or too hard to get value out of the data, it doesn't have the required quality to be considered good or even retainable. I mean, just if you can't get value out of it, why keep it in the first place? Okay. So... Dave does not agree, people. I, I, no, I don't agree. <laughs> well, no, yeah, I don't agree necessarily. I... I would define data quality slightly differently in that I would say that if all of the values in the data are correct, then from a technical perspective, that data is high quality. Now that, I think your, your point is more focused on, you know, what's the business value of data. And I, I view those things as they they can and sometimes are very different. You know, you could you could have a bunch of data that is entirely correct and accurate that is of absolutely no business use, but I would say that the the quality of that data is you know, perfect or very good or excellent or however you want to grade your quality of data. Yeah. I agree. It's a different kind of looking at. It's a different kind of. But again, we've been talking about this for a little while now, and we've always kind of said if you can't get value out of your data, you don't really have data. If you're doing a big data project with the old style Hadoop style data lakes or newer versions of whatever you're doing there, 
always making sure that there's actual data available in that data. That's data that you can get value that you can get out of the data. If that's not there, then you shouldn't keep the data. So surely yeah. your data quality must somehow be related to that. I I think that depends entirely on you know. It, I think you mentioned at the start that the diff- people have different views. You know, this is this is the kind of thing that we're distilling down. If you ask someone who's maybe in charge of ingesting population data in Kazakhstan, for example, you know, they will look for open government data sources and work out a way to ingest that data and, you know, ensure that it arrives in a fashion that it can be um, consumed, I would, I would think, being, obviously, drastically simplifying things um, would you consider that data to be high quality or low quality well if you're you know attempting to get the uh, the answers to what's the the population density across various districts of Salt Lake City like it's probably fairly useless data but the data could still be you know very accurate 100% correct Okay, fair enough. I mean, it's a one way of looking at it. It's it, that's not. I don't think we need to be right or wrong about this. Yeah. But that's what I meant at the start when I said that for different roles, it's going to be yeah. a different look at it. Now it is surprising though, because I was thinking I was going to be the nerd in this conversation. You were going to be the business guy. <laughs> I, I, I guess like I preempted that. Uh-huh. Exactly. I like to keep you on your toes. So what we what we wanted to talk, and this this. Uh, this conversation was inspired, if you like, by a, uh, an article that we will kind of no doubt touch on at some point. But the view of this article is that data quality is is actually a it's a business problem. It's not a, a, a tech problem. I mean, why why do you think that is? Why do you think that it's it's the the business? Well, I already gave the answer basically. And you sustain so my answer. It's the business, it's that, the value business thing. that cares of it. The business that cares about it. Yeah, IT is the, the, the facilitating service, let's say, that makes sure that that value is obtainable and make sure that the data pipelines are set. And you're right. I mean, at the first level there, you have the data engineer that does the, the data source coupling to whatever analytics station you have there. And they want to make sure that the data is not corrupt, that if it's audio or video, that it's in the right frame rates, bit rates, resolutions, whatever. So you can actually, again, feed it to the business processes that come after that to get that value out of it. Yeah. So if we've got, you know, a business that is uh, expecting a certain sort of type or style or format or whatever of data, and you've got a tech organization that is supposed to be providing that, then, you know, surely it's a, surely it's a symbiotic relationship between the two, the two halves. They, 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 they both jointly own this problem. Yeah, I mean, this whole DevOps thing, that's also been available from the start, right? It's not like developers and integrators of infrastructure people never talk to each other. I mean, that always just happened organically. So surely for the data, it must be the same. Yeah, I'm uh, kind of feeling baiting me here a little bit, so <laughs> just playing along. No. But, uh, no, I mean, it's the whole... I mean, 
I don't. Yeah, I have a problem with the the silos. They shouldn't be there. People should just do take responsibility for the whole end-to-end business thing. But it's a normal. Uh, it's not that expected that it uh, that evolves that way because a lot of people get responsibility. And if you're good at your job, you want to make sure that you can fulfill the responsibilities thrust upon you. The more you can limit the scope of those responsibilities, the more you can guarantee, foresee, control. And that's how silos are born. And the whole thing about not not being allowed to have a problem or a failure or a fault that needs to be perfect all the time is making this happen. And it's a bad way of looking at it. And if you look at the industry, and we're really going off topic here, which you never do, if you look at the industry, the whole movement towards containerization, Kubernetes, and that kind of things is to have that self-repairing quality in there that if things go wrong, it's fine. It'll have a hiccup of some kind, but it's okay. It'll just repair itself and continue it. So you build the thing on resilience. You take away the strict, you have to make sure one always equals one and two always equals two. Now you make sure it's most of the time similar and work with the rest of them. And can share responsibilities that way, hopefully getting more of a cohesive whole at the end. And that's the same thing for data. The whole, and I'm, I, I'm pretty sure that the whole data ops kind of thing is an extra. We've talked about this with Chris Burke uh, a while ago. Yeah. Um, that's the same idea there to have again less silos, more cooperation, more integration of all the responsibilities to make sure that that data engineer is already talking with the at the end of the line consuming data scientist or BI report maker in put in your tool of choice here and talk to each other from start one when the project gets started during the project the implementation to make sure that the data required at the end to get again that for that value out of it is at least available in a shape and format that is usable mm-hmm. and that's about it but don't so, answer your question there. <laughs> no, probably not. But as you were talking, I was thinking about some of the... And you, you touched on some of this, but there's, to me, there's a variety of things that kind of play into data quality. That you've got the, the intrinsic sort of quality of the data, you know, the technical quality of your data, like is it accurate, you know, mm-hmm. does it is it scattered with a bunch of nulls or exceptions that probably shouldn't be there or, you know, whatever. But there's a lot more to it than the, the physical sort of, or virtual, I guess, data itself. You've got things like the, the metadata that should be in some way, shape or form, you know, wrapping that data. Is it is it correctly cataloged in a way that someone in an organization that is looking for that data can easily find it? You've got, um, if you've got accurate metadata, then you know, do you have tooling so people can interact with that metadata, you know, update it, revise it? We see in a number of different sort of ways, we've seen people um, sort of voting on some systems of the quality of the data and you see sort of these systems where certain data sources sort of bubble up in visibility of an organization as because lots of people think this particular data source is particularly interesting or useful and you know people that consume this data source are often also interested in this data source and you know, those kind of um, sort of platforms are a, to me, are a big part of data quality because if you 
you know, having a raw data file that is 100% technically accurate that no one can find or understand is really not a great deal of use. No, but at least it's something that can become of use in the future because at least the the first line quality, let's start segregating it that way, is okay. So you can make something usable out of it. But uh, yeah, definitely the searchability is very important. And that's also what I meant with the format of the data. Yeah. You need to have the data in a format that is accepted, not just by the application you're using today, but also by applications you might be migrating to. And that's a bit of a, hey, we're an open source podcast, so I can talk about open source here. That's one of the reasons that I like people using open source solutions, because those typically don't have closed formats and try to integrate uh, based on schemas, JSON schemas that are publicly available, well-documented and stuff like that. The whole idea of putting your data in a silo, which is a black box, and if you, for some reason, stop paying the vendor or the vendor goes out of business, gets bought or something like that, it's really something you have to be careful for, I think, in days like these where data becomes more and more important. The whole data-driven organizations and whatever hype you want to use today, data is becoming more important all the day, all the time. And yeah, you're not going to put all your money in bitcoins. I mean, that can go away at some point. You're also going to put some stuff in dollars or at least something that's publicly tradable. <laughs> not sure if that's a stretch bed, analogy. Bed made out of gold bullion, clearly. Um, so I call this soft, we, like we've that. <laughs> no, no, we, the, layered with layered with paper money on top. Clearly, obviously, uh, paper money mattress. Um, so, when we're talking about data and the the value of data and data quality, are there are there some specific examples you can think of where um, bad data? "Quote unquote," or let's say low quality data, whatever, however you define quality, you know, can have a significant impact on things. Uh, did you ever hear about that banking crisis you had a couple of years ago? Never. About no. bad mortgages and stuff like that, and decisions being made based on mm. assumptions that didn't turn out to be kind of realistic after all. Yeah, I mean, there was more going on at that point than just bad data, I'm sure. But uh, that's the risk, right? You're making decisions based on data that you haven't vetted correctly or aren't being interpreted correctly. Um, A while ago, uh, uh, some missile rockets uh, crashed because they had one piece of the software talking miles while the other software was talking kilometers. One of the Mars landers, I think that was. I have to look it up. But yeah, that also is a very direct result. (laughs) Things like conversions. And... There's, oh, there's cost in that. And on the other hand, there's also cost in making a data good quality. Because if data comes in and you need to do a lot of scrubbing, translating, maybe even put natural language, language, natural language processing, thank you, uh, algorithms on top of it to get intents out of it so you can actually have words that seemingly don't really mean the same thing still cooperate with each other, correlate to each other. And one example I can give there is something I actually heard in my job life where um, a organization was doing a crime report and they wanted to have a listing of all the weapons that were being used and they expected the word pen to appear now no matter of translation or synonym lists nothing's going to give you pen as something that equates a weapon but still people can do a lot of damage with a simple pen 
and apparently mm -hmm. do. <laughs> so, it's mightier than the sword, don't you know? Yeah, but in this case, it's pretty <laughs> yeah, direct damage that we're talking about, and not the metaphorical ones or something like that. So, no, but that's where things like natural language processing come in, which is a pretty heavy part of neural networks machine learning. And if you want to put that kind of data quality uh, scrubbing on top of your ingests, mm. that can be very expensive as well. So I think at the moment, I kind of equate this to the whole discussions we sometimes have regarding is data, data um, uh, DR setups, are those worth the money or not? When should I have a full disaster recovery or not? It's always, obviously. I mean, it's never bad to have a disaster recovery solution. True. But it's a cost. It's a real big cost sometimes. So when does it become important? And data quality, sadly, also kind of a little bit falls into that category for me. You can do a lot to, to refine and scrub and make sure the data looks perfect, bright, shiny. But there's a cost involved. And at what point, how would you decide when it makes sense to do that? Because again, the, the results, the possible penalties, the possible problems you get will only be months, even maybe years in the future. But yeah. scrubbing the data is a cost now. So how do you look at that? I mean, like all of these things, it's a, it's a real balancing act mm -hmm. that most people are ba essentially making bets that they <laughs> either will or won't, you know, put or how much effort they will put into, you know, data cleanliness or data quality up front without necessarily the full understanding, well, almost certainly without any understanding of what impact that could have to the business in the future. Like a data engineer that's doing some data prep on, you know, and automating a pipeline on some ingest, first of all, may or may not, you know, have a, a great understanding of the data source itself. And you know, maybe they understand, you know, things like the format, but they, in many cases, and tooling can certainly help you, but you'll see, you'll see some data, you'll kind of, you know, skim through it a little bit to get an idea of what the data looks like. Maybe you've got some tooling that can help you with that and give you some more information around that. And you will almost certainly make some assumptions that, okay, this is, this is the boundary of what I expect this data to be. And again, tooling can help. And then you automate a pipeline to ensure that data arrives wherever it needs to arrive with a certain amount of processing. Now, that data pipeline could exist for hours, days, years, decades even. And the data coming into that could evolve over time. You know, we even simple things like date formats moving from, you know, um, for four-digit years to, to uh, or two-digit years to four-digit years and things like that. But that can't be a problem ever. Exactly right. So there's never been a problem for anybody ever. Um, so you've got you've got things like that on one end of the equation, and you know you've no idea what that data might get plugged into in the future. And then on the other side of things, with sort of the consumption of the data, you've got machine learning that is generating these models or you know having these models generated you've got what is essentially a black box in some cases making a decision based on a huge amount of data manipulated by people along its along its life cycle 
and coming to an output, a decision, you know, that decision, yes, no, yes, you can have an insurance policy. No, you can't have an insurance policy. You know, yes, this, this person should, uh, you know, should be given this particular promotion or this particular job or no, they shouldn't. It's a really kind of, it's one of the most, um, I think, it's one of the most complex and one of the most um, difficult parts of any of this black box interaction where you don't know why some of these decisions are being made. And if you can't back up you know, why certain decisions are being made, then should you be making those decisions is certainly a set of questions that I've, I've seen and had asked before. Well, that last one isn't the question anymore. It's legality now for a lot of uh, things that affect humans directly, uh, explainability of those black boxes has become part of law in, most, in a lot of pieces in the world, not everywhere probably, but because yeah. I know from my own environment that if you do any kind of inferencing, you always want to see which feature sets, uh, which features in the feature set were contributing in what amounts to that decision of yes, no, true, false, red, blue, whatever. And um, yeah, that actually is stifling some innovation, I would expect as well. But that's a good thing because there's been a lot of uh, news articles as well that yeah. decisions were made based purely on the output of a machine learning algorithm where it was obviously clearly a wrong exit uh, condition mm -hmm. but people simply say yeah, I see number one okay and it's safe right computer says yes so I guess it must be fine computers are smarter than humans always have been right mm. no comment <laughs> <laughs> so if we if we try and wrap this up and yeah, I got a question first. I got one okay, more question go on. for you want to wrap them up should people strive to a 100% perfect data quality? Always. No, almost certainly not. Yeah. Uh, I'd agree. Uh, it's, it's, I mean, how would you ever know? How would you know that you had reached 100% data quality? You could continue polishing your data up until the end of time, and that might still not be 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the second one is things like diminishing returns. I mean, you yeah. can probably get a huge improvement with very low to almost no effort at all, or at least mm -hmm. monetary value investment at all. But to get that last nine after the other nine nines behind the comma, yeah, that's where you get the nine zeros behind the budget, right? <laughs> Without a comma. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, the, there are industries where that is definitely an investment worth taking. If you look yeah. at the financial services industry, Health. they're more than, yeah, those, those kind of industries are more than happy to pour additional investment because that, you know, incrementing that, uh, that number, you know, so many digits down the dot nine, 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 you know, incrementing that up mm -hmm. is, is, you know, billions of dollars or billions of lives and that sort of investment is is worth making um making it sound like people aren't valued money wise okay i said people are money people but time is money well that's also true um so um, <laughs> let's 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 wrap it up 
how how do we fix this? Is this even fixable? Is this something that we can we we here on this podcast today can can resolve once and for all and forever? Well, since you just agreed that you can't go to 100% data quality anyway, or shouldn't in most cases, it's not something you should want to solve. But I think exactly. that's not the question you're asking. Yes, <laughs> somebody needs to look at this, but it shouldn't be a, a specific role. It should be part of everybody's attention span, from the type, from the data typist to the the person that is putting the the, the very strict uh, SQL schema in place or the somewhat less strict non-SQL schema in place. Doesn't matter. Responsibility still there. To the person using the data and. I'd say that since we've kind of agreed that it's not a solvable problem, you should always be aware of the fact that the data isn't perfect and always be mm -hmm. second guessing when you're really basing decisions or consequences on data. Second guess yourself, make sure you do enough A-B testing, have that code monkey running around to mess up your data and see if that makes a difference or not. Um, mm. Strive to get good data, accept the fact that it's probably not going to happen. Yeah. I think that's absolutely an absolutely sensible set of uh, set of thoughts on that. It, it's it's always going to be a balancing act, and making sure that you're putting you know enough effort into this, and only you as an individual and you as a, a wider organisation could decide what enough effort actually is. But some effort, I would suggest, is worthwhile <laughs> investing, um, and then. As, as Jan says, continuing to be aware that the data is not perfect and there's there's always more that can be done. There's always sort of additional things that you can look at. And the, and the like, yeah, and a data pipeline is not something that you implement once and forget forever. Like there's always going to be tweaks and adjustments throughout, uh, throughout the data's life cycle. And there will definitely be times when data becomes irrelevant and no longer you know no longer worth it you know gets superseded by other data sources that are you know more useful or more granular or have more impact to whatever it is that you're um you know you're looking at in particular so don't think that even if you do get your quote unquote perfect data uh, that you know it will it will remain that way because you know, unless you're going to stay, you know, stagnant and you know not change anything, that's almost certainly not the case. Yes, and I guess staying stagnant and not changing anything is the ideal way to not have to care about your data quality anymore in a couple of years. Very true. Mainly because <laughs> your company will have gone bang. <laughs> All right. right. So with I think that, you've got some. Uh, yeah, yes. I think you've got some service announcements. Uh, yes, just the one. A um, couple of episodes ago, we had uh, Richard Knuckles on to talk about uh, data engineering in Azure, and we had some free book code giveaways. Uh, we did that through Twitter. Uh, all the codes have now been sent out. So if you had sent in a request and you didn't get one, so maybe you didn't get a part of the lucky winners, um, but all those lucky winners should have their code in the mail by now. And with that being said, unless you have anything else to add, Nothing else from me. Nothing else from me, at least for this week. So that's all the time we have for today. We, you can support this podcast. You can become a patron. Every contribution helps. We are on YouTube. You can like, you can subscribe, you can ring the notification bell. 
they really likes you when you do that. Now you have to point downwards. The notification bell is down there somewhere. <laughs> and the subscription button. The subscription button is now going to be somewhere. I have to do my... On, on his side. <laughs> this is never going to get old. Please go to <laughs> www.roaringelf.org. You can find a link to our Patreon page. Uh, more information about the podcast. You can follow us on Twitter using the at Roaring Elephant tag. And you can send feedback to podcast at roaringelephant.org. Until next time, my name is Perfect Quality Jon. <laughs> and my name is Dave. Hey, if I don't say it myself, we look forward to talking to you and you seeing us on YouTube next week. Goodbye. See you then. <laughs>